The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only Sergio <laughs> was robbed podcast. And this is not a bit. This is a genuine reaction. Sergio was robbed. I'm Joel Gaston with John Fraser as usual. And yes, uh, we are talking Grey Cup this week. Mm. And uh, we wouldn't be on brand on this show if we did not start with uh, the topic du jour, as we often do around here. Yes. And that is especially in this case, the Grey Cup. And we will talk sort of more about the game in general, sort of, you know, how the Bombers came back. What allowed them to come back? Uh, some of the decisions made by the Hamilton Ticats and the ratings wrote on TSN yes. as well. But um, sort of the main conversation between us after the game, unsurprisingly, was uh, surrounding the most valuable Canadian, most valuable player. Yes. Now, the most valuable Canadian basically went to the first one that made a play. Um, had the voting probably not already been, you maybe could have made a case for Andrew Harris the way he played in overtime, but... Regardless, Nick Dembski made the one play at the right time, and that probably got him the vote. So right, and nobody was looking at the way that Jake Thomas was probably having his best game along the uh, the, the defensive line for the Bombers. But I digress. Yeah, no, I mean, voting for these things is often sketchy at best, and that's no offense to those who do it. Right. Um, but the one that has stand out is definitely most valuable player. Yes. <laughs> and no offense to Zacharos, he's probably the best story in the CFL in decades. Yes. Just the way everything has gone for him the last, you know, five years is just the craziest of roller coasters I don't think you could even script. Right. And he was very deserving of being the league's most outstanding player this year, but I'm sorry. He was not the most valuable player of that football game. You could make cases for a number of guys, but I think in our minds, and as John said, this is not just the bit. Yes. The MVP of that game should have been Sergio. See, and the funny thing is, is, is I thought to myself before the game, I'm like, if Sergio does anything, we're going to make it this. If he kissed, it, it's it's like when I was joking during the West final, how I'm like, yeah, Sergio didn't miss a convert, right? And I kind of turned the attention to that. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, we're going to make this a bit no matter what. And then as the game progressed, I'm like, he is by far their most valuable player. Mm-hmm. Um, Back to Zach for a second, 240 yards passing, including overtime. Uh, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And I'm not big on passer rating, but no. a passer rating of only 82.8, right? Meanwhile, and this is the case and, for and Sergio. He would have had a third interception if not for a heads-up play oh. by his receiver. Oh, God. That, <laughs> that that was such a great play, and I'm surprised. I've said to you before, I'm like, I don't see why guys don't do that more often. I think yeah. it was Kenny Lawler in the end zone who basically took an interception off the board by committing flagrant OPI but breaking up a surefire interception. And I, I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if you see more receivers start to do that. It's almost one of those things like the OBJ one handed thing. Somebody does it. And then you see somebody else try it. Cause that was brilliant. Cause yeah. yeah. I, but I mean, it's, it's hard to think of in the moment sometimes. So I right. will, I'll, I'll give players maybe a pass for not doing it. And, but if it comes, if it starts becoming a thing, something will have to become of it. And I think that was uh Piffle's podcast, Greg McCullough, who suggest, uh, yeah, Greg, who suggested that, uh, if you commit OPI in the end zone like that, you should be automatically taken out of field goal range. Yep. Yeah. No, I would, I would agree <laughs> that they might have to do something like that, but it was a brilliant play. And again, mm-hmm. like Zach Caleros, 
against Saskatchewan and against Hamilton did not look good. No. He was, like you said, great story. I love seeing him come back. I love bringing him bringing stability to the position as a Bomber fan. Did not look good. Um, but the man who did look great, and this is a hill we were going to die on regardless, but it's actually a hill that I feel like we can actually die on. Yeah, we might have had to stretch it in a lot of other situations, but oh, yeah. legitimately, that was one of yeah, that was an all-time clutch kicking performance in that game. Five for five on the field goals. Now, here's a fun thing. Even including when Sergio came back to Winnipeg, there was not a single night that he was perfect. He'd either he'd missed a convert here, he'd missed a field goal here, but he was way more stable than anything. So Sergio with the first perfect kicking performance for Winnipeg this season. So he's got the five field goals. Obviously nails Which, is no matter you know kicking into or against that wind or with that wind, regardless, is impressive because oh. that is that is not an easy thing to do. So to be perfect on that night with that wind, yeah. Right. So 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 that's it. Like you're he's battling the elements. He puts up five for five and all of them like you and I were talking about how tough that one was that he made in the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. for the Bombers to go up, even though he had the wind at his back. Like that thing had 60, 65 yards on it. It was it was center strike. You didn't have to. As a Bomber fan, I can tell you it was nice. Finally, not having a panic. Obviously, Nails is one convert as well. But the other thing, too. Well, because, I mean, touchdowns are always better than field goals. And. Hamilton out touchdowned the Bombers until overtime. So I mean that that tells you how important Sergio was in that game. Yeah, yeah, and and the 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 moments there's two big moments here too, mm-hmm. were the two kickoff rouges. Say what you will about the rouge, dear listeners. I enjoy it when it's kicked so hard that it goes through the back of the end zone or a guy's forced to concede. I like it in those situations. There's some situations I don't, but that's a topic for another day. Sergio hitting that so pure with the wind, causing the first misdirection to go off the hands out of the back of the end zone. There's one rouge. And then, of course, the one with the decision that everybody's talking about that I think just proves that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are, in fact, a cursed franchise is Mm. the second one. That Sergio kicks it so deep. The knee's taken in the end zone, and all of a sudden you're tying with a field goal instead of winning. So it's funny that doing the bit, but lots of people online going, yeah, no, you're actually totally right. Uh, And even our own boy Sergio liking a tweet that uh, I quote tweeted you. You had the famous Sergio gift from the John Hamm Saturday Night Live web exclusive that we love so much. And then me in full celebration mode on my back deck with a Cuban cigar and my Sergio jersey on, um, saying we all know who the MOP should have been. Got a like from our boy Sergio. So it was it was all a, it was a good night to know that he was probably into one drinking out of the Grey Cup, checking his Twitter mentions and seeing us two idiots there. Yeah. So hey, Sergio, if, if if you're listening, we'd still love to have you on. Um... It's gonna happen. <laughs> if, if he's in the CFL next year, it's happening. Like yeah. if he's still with Winnipeg, like. I, I think we have to ask Ariel, who is a one-time John replacement of this podcast, to make this happen somehow. When the bombers come to town, this has to be has to be a thing that will go on. Yeah, and, and I mean, he should have been the MVP. There maybe been some other guys on defense who could have picked, but at the end of the day, uh, I, just I, I don't. I, I, I mean, you could have made more of an argument for some of them than Zach Caleros. Basically, is yes. what I'm saying. Right. And right, and right. at the end of the day, like just enough with the uh, oh, we don't really know, so let's just vote for the quarterback vote. Like, please, it's, let's it's, just stop. It's, it's, we stop doing just, this, please. Both in the CFL and the NFL and probably the NCAA as well. Like, can we just stop this? I know, right? Like, it just, it's so easy. Like, it's almost to the point that for any major football game, 
you almost need to just have a non-running back, non-quarterback MVP. But that would involve a lot of, you know, that would involve not visiting and actually paying attention to the game while you're placing these votes. So, not that I would know anything about no, actually paying attention. I was going to say, this is not John burning more bridges. He is, in fact, just taking a shot at himself. <laughs> I, I, this, <laughs> yes, this is, yes, you're right. This is not my usual atomic fire. This is the running joke of Ryder Camp. And one thing how led to us being such good friends is that I rarely ever watched the field and just sat there and bullshitted with everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still a running joke to this day with, obviously, the two of us and Jamie and I and Murray McCormick, and it still comes up. So you watching practice yet? Hell no. I'm certainly not. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's going to be watching practice for a while now as uh, the season is over after uh, the is. the end of that Grey Cup. And one of the better game, one of the better Grey Cups I think we've seen in the last few years, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about it as... Um, and we're going to talk about the ratings and what that may or may not mean. But, of course, before all of that, as usual, John, for the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, what is in the glass this week? Uh, n- nothing special tonight because I drank it all last night. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last night I did uh, make sure my fridge was well stocked, though, uh, as I went to the new Costco liquor store uh, that is here in Saskatoon and got the Rebellion Mix Pack uh, that's for... 35 bucks plus the deposit and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but on the shelf says 35 bucks. You get yourself five cerveza, five beer, and five amber. And I can tell you, I, um, I thought I had some left today. Mm-hmm. I don't. I have, I have another case I have to put in the fridge that I didn't do last night. Um, yeah. Didn't think I went that hard, but here we are, and I'm drinking an industrial beer again uh, while also pairing it with a Lucky Bastard vodka because... I have no cold Rebellion beers, despite having most of that 15-pack left in my fridge last night. Uh, For me, I have also from uh, our friends at the Rebellion Brewing Company, the Root Beer Imperial Imperial... Imperial root beer. Sorry, there's, there's there's the word I was looking for. I was thinking imperial stout. I'm like, nope, this is not a stout. This is just uh, a root beer beer. So basically, don't think like uh, industrial pop root beer. Like, don't okay. think like an A&W root beer or a Barks root beer or something like that. Like, it's a very old-fashioned, very well-made sort of root beer with, like, real ingredients. So uh, oh, okay. it's quite good, uh, quite strong as well. So it's a sipper and uh, maybe only one a night kind of thing, but... It's definitely not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, it's getting rave reviews, and it's 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 very delicious. That's all I can say about it. So, okay, for me being the non-dark beer, non-stout guy, would I enjoy it? You know my taste pretty well. Um, I don't know, because it's, it's not it's not like sweet, and it's not like it's not like what you would probably think of when you think of first now these days when you say root beer. And I don't right. know what you think about root beer to begin with, right? Um, but. I mean, it would be worth a try. I don't know if you should buy a four-pack of it, but if you could find a single of it, maybe give it a shot. Sometimes the co-op does that. I might, ha- I might have to give that a go because I, because you know exactly what I don't like. So mm. I feel like you saying I might. I'm thinking like if it. you didn't like the CDA, the Cascadian Dark Ale from Nokomis, I don't know if you'd like this. Okay, okay. Well, I'll still try a single can, or I'll buy a four-pack. I'll hate them and I'll keep them in my fridge until the um, the Saskatoon Men's Bonds bill here in January. Yes, that that's also a. I'm okay with that plan. <laughs> yes, it's true. So this is all I have to do is just keep keep getting you to buy beers that you don't like, so that fridge is just completely full of stuff that only I can drink by the time I get there. <laughs> that's some big brain maneuvers right there, Joel. Sad, sadly, you know we're, we we don't really have any football to talk about after this one, so it would be uh, I'll have to do it all by text. So I don't know if you can be quite as persuasive, but I believe in you. 
anything's possible, game. right? That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. As Kevin Garnett once said. Yeah, and uh, anything was possible for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the 2021 Grey Cup <laughs> as they won their second in three years and second in a row uh, in terms of season to, seasons actually played. Um, kind of finishing up what was a bit of a chalk season for the CFL as the best team ended up winning it all. Yep. And I don't know. I thought it ended up being a pretty good game. Like the first half was dull. The first half was very 2021. Yes. And then the second half, it, it kind of got going a little bit. I think both teams kind of had their runs there. And Winnipeg's, ultimately, their run came at the right time, which is kind of what the best teams do. They don't always necessarily play their best games all the time. But when push comes to shove, they find a way to win. And uh, as you're about to tell me, I know, John, it, it took a lot of weird stuff happening. It <laughs> took a lot of lucky breaks. It took a lot of weirdness to get there. But, uh, hey, you got to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky, right? It was one of the dumbest things I think I've ever watched start to and, finish. And, and, I and, and the, the interesting thing, I know we're gonna, you're going to outline all the steps of everything that had to happen for the Bombers in order to come back. Yeah. But like you said to me before we were recording, in the moment you didn't really you know, appreciate all how little, how even all the little things added up for the Bombers in those moments. Yep. Because when you're watching it, it just all kind of felt like part of the game and it was natural and this is just, oh, this is just what's happening. Yeah. And then you look back on it and you're like, Wow, a lot of dumb shit had to happen for that to happen, eh? Oh, oh, oh <laughs> certainly. So, oh my god! Like, and that was me today. Like last night, so I had a few friends over to watch the game. Um, obviously, like you said, I'm just I'm watching the game. My friend Tornado came over. He's a huge Winnipeg sports guy, so we're all decked out in gear and 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 enjoying it and loving the comeback. And you're just focused on that. And almost as soon as everybody left. I watched two things again. I watched the halftime show with the Arkells again because that was straight fire. That was incredible. And uh, I might be a bit biased as an Arkells fan, but yeah, that was great. Um, and then I watched the fourth quarter again. And the more I watched the fourth quarter, the more I'm like, Hamilton is cursed. Hmm. Like, Hamilton is cursed in such a way, like, when Winnipeg had their long drought, Winnipeg was just a shitty organization for a very long time. 2001 notwithstanding and 2007 was bad luck mm -hmm. but okay so there's a play early in the fourth quarter here after a brilliant coaching move by Orlando Steinhauer that yeah, we both yeah. love before we dump all over him in a little bit or potentially all over him for a bit I still don't know exactly you know who made the other call that we're going to talk about but that call at the end of the third quarter to call a timeout there to hopefully force Winnipeg to punt into the wind one last time was just one of the most brilliant game management oh. decisions I've seen from any coach in any level of football in a very long time. It, oh. it that 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 play alone deserved an award. Like it was it, that good. It, it it was I was gushing over, it. and it was that moment I said, "I think we're done." And you Fraser like, cursed the Bombers. Steinhauer is 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 is. I did Fraser curse it. Wow, I guess I did. <laughs> um, everybody's dialed in. Caleros has just thrown two interceptions. It's in the third quarter. I'm like, that's it. We're toast. This is not happening. And then the wackiness of the fourth happens. And I'm going to remind people that didn't watch of a few plays. One, Kenny Lawler's offensive pass interference in the end zone was another brilliant play. Mm -hmm. We talked about that a bit already. There was, okay. The other one, too, that, that blew me away uh, was we're getting later on. There's about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Hamilton has the ball and it's 
looking good. They rip off a nine-yard gain on first down and then get called for unnecessary roughness, which now sets up a second and 16, which leads to a two-and-out, which leads to Winnipeg getting the ball back and subsequently taking the lead off the right foot of Sergio. And again, another one, like just like the defensive line being offside, we're not talking moving early by like a hand. Mm-hmm. That's three penalties or three plays that already you're like, all three of them had to be dumb. There was two. The, big the only thing, and I haven't really, I didn't really have the chance to watch it back as closely as you have. The offside was were they stopped short on the sneak? Uh, it was close. Okay, because I was gonna say I, like, it, I, like it, I felt like maybe he got it, so it might have been inconsequential. But yeah, it was it, it was close enough that I think had somebody given a generous spot. Mm-hmm. It could have been called in favor of the Tiger Cats. Like, it was one that it was uh, close enough. It might have been with the second surge, but you know how those plays go yeah. a lot of times, yeah. right? And they're yeah. such a hard play to challenge, but it it just – it wasn't one of those clear-cut, he got three and a half yards. It was okay. – yeah. so, so, again, there's a chance. You had, you had a chance to take the ball twice, once on an interception, once debatably on a turnover on downs. Neither of them happened. Uh, the sliding grabs by both Bailey and Wolitarski. Those are two outstanding sliding catches. The, the one by Bailey especially was like a like oh. a, a total excuse me. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. That never should have been a completion. No, like he's like he's basically like falling to the ground, reaching back, yeah. it bounces off his arms and in, and it stays there for the catch. Like it was yep. it was absurd. But that's the, those are the kinds of moments you need to win championships. And those are the kind of moments you need to prove my theory that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are, are actually incredibly cursed. Mm-hmm. Like cuz cuz like Shit like that happens, and it just seems like you're cursed. Now, yeah. of course, the two rouges from Sergio, and again, that a lot of that is skill. A lot of that is the fact that our favorite kicker can absolutely kick the piss out of the ball, and that's fantastic. Especially that's with a 50K win at his back. Exactly, right? So Sergio's <laughs> going to do Sergio things, but that was a thing that wouldn't have happened with any other kicker Winnipeg's had this entire year. And then, of course, the dumbest plays. I'm going to go to the drop in the end zone because I've watched those replays several times the winnipeg defender maybe affects the ability to catch it but he doesn't touch that ball that was a clear flat out drop in the end zone with almost no time left which led to the tying field goal which led to overtime which led to the bombers winning on perhaps one of the best defensive plays in Grey cup history because you can watch in slow-mo and i've watched it a couple times mm-hmm. winston rose absolutely keeps the, that ball alive and shovels it forward Although he's playing keep the balloon off the ground at that point. Oh, absolutely he is. And he and he does he recognizes that in a split second and knows he has a man open with his left hand to pull it off. Like it's a great play. Watch it in slow mo. You can find it at, at Sicko's Committee on Twitter if you really want. Ah ha ha ha. Yes. Ha ha ha. Now, of course the one that everybody's talking about today. Mm-hmm is the conceded, not the one that Sergio kicked so hard, 79 yards went all the way through the end zone, but... Yeah. Granted, granted, both had to happen for it to matter, but, you know, a decision to take a knee on the in the end zone is something that is can be debated till the, you know, and we're going to until the cows come home. Right. Human error is, that shit happens, and you just gotta kind of brush that off. Right. I, I think if, and, and it hasn't really come out, and I don't, it's, it's kind of like the 13th man, I don't know if it ever will. Probably not, no. But, yeah, you, to me, I get it in the moment. Maybe you have that moment the lights are brightest and you kind of panic and you take a knee in the end zone because that's what you've been like, doing. It's, it's, it's entirely possible the White 
took the knee in the end zone to sort of you know sort of force a habit, right. right? And it's and if that's the case, then okay, that sucks. But if it was a coaching decision, we're talking about an entirely different matter here. Because to me, and you know, I'm not you know me, I'm not that guy who says one play determines a playoff game, determines a football game, right? And it still didn't. There's still a bunch of other things that could have happened in this football game to allow the Hamilton Ticats to win. Yes. But this is still one of the very important ones in this game, in that decision. And I know, of course, Mike O'Shea is going to come out and, you know, he's not going to throw Orlando under the bus for this, and nor should he. No, um, absolutely. They know each other quite well. They're professionals. He's not going to say anything. And, of course, you know, even in a roundabout way, of course he liked the call because it benefited his team. Um, right. But I still just can't wrap my head around taking a knee in the end zone and giving up the rouge to make a two-point game a three-point game. For probably, I mean, he had a decent amount of space to, for what, maybe 10 more yards? Which, really, if if you, and if you don't give up that one point, a field goal wins it. So those 10 yards, even into a pretty brisk wind, are fairly inconsequential versus having to go all the way to the end zone to win. Right, and and and... And that's exactly it. Like, that's... Had it been, you know, uh, a tie game or a one-point game at the time, yeah, absolutely take that knee 100 times out of 100. Yeah, but, take, the, take the field position. And, and, yeah, and, or even and, if it's a, you know, a four-point, you know, even if it's like a four-point game at the time, yeah, take that knee. I, no you can maybe even talk me into it if it's a five-point game at the time, but just not, not in a situation where you have to drastically upgrade the amount of scoring you need to win the game in that moment. No, and and you're absolutely right. You changed it. That is the best way to put it. You just changed it from needing a field goal to win to a field goal to tie and a touchdown. I understand that it would have been a very difficult field goal into that wind, but at right. least you still had that kick. Say they don't take that knee and they get all the way back down to like the seven-yard line or whatever it was. Right. He made that field goal pretty easily. They he win did. the game there. It's over. Hamilton's great cup champions at home. The curse is over. Everyone's happy. And the Orlando Steinauer era and this whole era of Ticats football in all likelihood, ends the way it should have. Yes. No, you're, and you're absolutely right. And it, it's not like that wind made it impossible to kick. No. Um, they were saying on the broadcast that both, um, God, both Hamilton's kicker and Sergio were pretty consistently making them from the 30, which means anything below 40 yards was probably safe. So even if in a hypothetical bizarro universe – he runs it out to the 20. They get the exact same amount of, of yardage on that next drive. He's probably kicking a 27-yard field goal to win, right? Yeah. Um, and and let's face it, because of the win and because of how far that ball went, the Winnipeg cover team, which is usually really good, was nowhere to be seen when he took that knee. So that, that makes me think that this was a coaching decision and a terrible one. And I don't know who makes that decision, but they thought the field position was more important Um at the end of the day, maybe they thought they could march down and get a touchdown. Which, and I, you know, they effectively did. They just right. didn't quite execute on the play that they had it. They had it in the bag. They had the play. And right. it was nearly a scenario, and this is one of, you know, a thing that I've, you know, started saying a lot about football now is, you know, sometimes bad decisions work out and sometimes good ones don't. And this would have very much been a scenario of a bad decision working out. And it, right. and it just about did and it should have. Well, and I mean, let's face it, the bad decision made by Mike O'Shea... Mm-hmm. Well, a couple bad decisions made by Mike O'Shea. One, to give up the safety and gift Hamilton two points that were undone by the right leg of Sergio Castillo in the fourth quarter. And the other one, to kick 
with Sergio, as much as I love seeing Sergio get more field goals, um, to kick to keep it a two-score game also somehow worked out for Mike O'Shea. It just, I, watching it back, I've done it twice now. I've, I've watched it again this afternoon. Oh, um, is this going to be like, well, I mean, hopefully we don't go, you know, a whole year and a half between games being played again, but is this going to be like a, the thing again where you just rewatch this game as we record the podcast for the next few months? Uh, probably because I feel like a uh, winter podcast where I don't quite need as much material in front of me. I'll probably be back to the couch and away from the home studio, um, which is also right beside the couch. I should <laughs> digress. Um, <laughs> I think so. I just, I, 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 the chaos, like, like, you know, we were talking about, it was, it was infinitely talked. far more interesting than the 2019 Grey Cup win. Oh yeah. The 2019 Grey Cup win was like a like a parade right you're just kind of like watching it go by and at the end everybody celebrated because everybody hates parades low-key um this one was like unexplicable like just chaos like this whole winnipeg playoff run has just been chaos and it came at the best time and i i love it and i honestly feel for hamilton fans though because Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they're cursed man like this like i said it earlier and I just, the more I'm looking at these stats, the more I've watched this game today, the more I think about it, that team's just cursed. Like, there's no way with this whole core, this Orlando Steinhauer team, the Brandon Banks era, mm-hmm. Mazzoli, even Zach Caleros back in the day when he was with Hamilton. There's no way this team shouldn't have won one of the Grey Cups they were in. Even last year, they even in like 2019, they were 15-3 and three and got absolutely dummied by Willie Jefferson. Well, it, it's funny if you look at Hamilton's Grey Cup appearances since, you know, in the the, the last four they've been in, um, they should probably be 2-2. Two and two. Yes. And so they won, they lost two games in just horrible, dramatic fashion and lost because of, you know, their own dumb errors. Yes. And the other two, they just got absolutely shit kicked in. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, 2013 and 2019 yeah. against teams looking to end droughts, it's just... You're right. Like, this, to me, should have been the one. You had the home mm-hmm. crowd. Like, it was obviously a very pro Ticats crowd, as you would expect it to be. Tim Horton's field was rocking. It was affecting Winnipeg. And you still find a way to, like, they're just cursed. Like, a team this good shouldn't be this cursed as they seemingly have been. No, they really shouldn't. And, I mean, you go back to the block in the back in BC. Right. I, I, still, I still remember that vividly. Like, I, you know, we were in the auxiliary press box, which is, like, the one where we were in the end zone, Jamie and I were, and like mm. we were watching. You like Brandon Banks is running towards us. Like that's the, the, we had a perfect view of the whole play, and you saw the flag, and you're just like, oh. oh. I just remember walking back to the hotel early that morning, being like, man, that penalty. That's just because that that was another year in the league where you know everything was kind of dull and not that interesting. Yeah. But had Brandon ba- had that return stood up. And the Ticats won off that return. That at least would have been something that year could have, you know, kind of hung their hat on. We got that a little bit this year in this Grey Cup, at least with with that fourth quarter. Yeah, with the fourth quarter and with the performance in overtime by the Bombers. Less so on the offensive. The offensive drive was just clinical, was just Winnipeg football this year. And then again, the the, the pick that all three guys were involved in was just ma- masterful. But we may have been watching, but it mm-hmm. seems like nobody else was, Joel? I mean, nobody's a bit of a stretch, um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, Justin Dunk reporting the numbers on Monday from TSN. Um, you know, caveat, we have not heard or seen what, you know, RDS may or may not add to this number, 
But as it stands right now, we're looking at uh, just under 2.9 million viewers. So 2.873 million was the average for the Grey Cup Sunday in 2021 on TSN. That is versus 3.6826 million in the 2019 Grey Cup between these two teams. And if you really want further context, um, you can go back to 2010, 2009, where both those games drew well over 6 million viewers. And then everything else between there was between, not including the 2012 Grey Cup, which was Calgary Toronto, of course, but that was the 100th right. Grey Cup where everyone really gave a shit and really tried, um, right. was between about 4.6 and 3.1. So, and I think all those other ones include the RDS numbers, so we'll see right. if, you know, the Quebec market is able to get this up above 3 million. It's not going to be a huge bump. It's only, no. it's, it's a huge bump for the Grey Cup when Montreal is in the Grey Cup. Which, and it, which it is very you were explaining this to me, and this I find this absolutely fascinating. Like, I, I thought it, I saw talk, I'm like, well, it has, to, it has to be correlated with Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, those teams with traditionally great fan bases. Maybe it has something to do with the Halftime Act. But no, you brought this up pre-broadcast, and I was like, holy shit. Like, it, it blew my mind. Yeah, and granted, of course, the, you know, the Ryder fan base brings numbers. Like, yeah, right. 2013 was 4.5 million, which right. is... A solid number for them, which is a great, great cup number. Um, but at the same time, sorry, there's ads playing on my headphones right now. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> I'm like, these ads on the site never play sound for me. Why is it suddenly doing it in the middle of the show? The one time you're looking for information. <laughs> and you and I, I'm pretty sure the ads didn't come across on the recording whatsoever. So that's that's what makes no, it even didn't. better. <laughs> There's nothing on the recording at all. I'm just, I'm like, oh, I thought maybe you were burping or farting or told me you're about to have to go take a poo or something. No. So, yeah, both of those games drew well over 6 million viewers between the Riders and the Yellow Ones. And we don't need to rehash those games. But, you know, granted, of course, the excitement of those games and Rider fans bring a lot. But what sort of takes the CFL from, you you know, sort of on solid, good footing to being very strong is the health of the Montreal Alouettes and the interest in the Montreal. It's because Quebec is a market that is very into their content. It is very different from the rest of Canada that way, especially on the sports. Um, You will, you know, they are the only, um, you know, out of, out of the, you know, the the conferences in U sports, they're the only ones that are on like a major network in that province. They are on TV sports all the time. And you can find even stuff below U sports on TV sports. So, this is a market that cares deeply about their teams, especially when they're winning. Yes. And so if the Alouettes, and you know, I think they're you know sort of on the path to getting there, so the numbers are going upward for them a little bit. But that is, you know, we can talk as much as we want about Toronto and BC and, you know, the strength in the prairies and all that's very important. It all kind of connects together. But that little bit on top is always Montreal and the Quebec market because they will rally and they will bring big numbers for the CFL when the Alouettes are good. And it's funny because that's that's all you hear is, oh, BC's got to get fans back. You know, Toronto's got to get fans back. Both those cities are okay TV draws, like more okay than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that actually blew me away with the connection between the Owls and, and the league being so strong. Like I, Yeah, the 2009 Grey Cup is the highest rated Grey Cup game in history. Which, I mean, it blows me away. Like, mm-hmm. you, you'd think, like... Yeah, you're going to have that Western bump from the Riders, 
But yeah, you'd, you'd think it would be. I don't know. I even thought like 2007, just based on fan bases, should be up there. But 2009, like that's that's remarkable. Like that's that's, and I'm glad to see that the Alouettes are are doing well. Um, mm-hmm. And it also goes to see that everybody that said it was because the Arkells aren't big enough of a draw, you're just wrong and dumb. Yeah, I don't. I don't think halftime's ever going to drastically ever affect numbers that much. But you know, we'll wait to see what, what if anything, the RDS number draws to this. But um, if it can't get back above three, which I think is sort of the minimum bar I like to see from a Grey Cup game, right? Um, that's a good. This is a concerning number for the CFL. Yes, absolutely. And I, I've seen some people talking about it in the sense of, well, it was in December, and uh, granted, that could be part of it. We've seen a lot of sports, you know, sort of programs over the last, you know, since this, all this started, be played at weird times and yep. the ratings were crap because of it. No question right. about it. Like, the Masters struggled in November or whenever the hell they played right. it. And, yep. you know, all these things, like, they've all struggled. There's no question about that. That happens. You know, the Stanley Cup in August, no one watched. Like, th- this yep. happens. I'm not I'm not saying that's entirely true, but the playoff ratings were still pretty much on par with what we had seen previously. It's not yeah, like it, the, it's not like the West, set, it's not like the semifinals and division finals create where you know significantly down some of them were even up so i don't know how much that plays into it versus is the hyper casual fan increasingly losing interest in the cfl and i i mean we can't say for sure you know maybe next year's great cup rebounds and it does fine and everything's okay in that front but this is the game that generally draws in the hyper casual viewer of the cfl at least once a year and it seemed it didn't do that because if you take those 2.8 million people that watched, that's probably about the number that, you know, watch most games all year throughout the course of the season. That's that's your you and me of the world that makes a point of watching the football every single weekend. So that is you're right. That is concerning. And that's where all leagues and it's not just as you mentioned, it's not just a CFL thing. All leagues have been struggling to bring eyeballs back to them. And bums back in the seats, you know, in this post or this this COVID era. I don't want to say post COVID era, but it's just I don't know if I I buy so much the December thing. Um, Yeah, I I I don't know what it is. I hope I hope there's a bounce back. I hope that this sparks some interest. But with all some of the 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 talk, and I mean, I know we're all going to be sitting here talking all off season about it about three downs versus four downs and. And what's the CFL thinking? What the hell are they doing? You know, they just just like sneakily give Montreal some envelope money and make them good again, and then all your problems are solved, right? Some <laughs> some Cavus Reed special, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe, probably not, but maybe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like, I I think this just speaks kind of to the season that was. And it was it was. I don't care what anybody says. Mm. I am the big. I love the CFL. I loved watching the Grey Cup. I love watching Winnipeg. This season was shit. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a single game outside of uh, until we got to the playoffs that I went, hey, that was a really good classic game. It was just crap. It was very forgettable. And I think your casual fan felt the same way heading into this Grey Cup game. Yeah, and certainly part of it, too, is, you know, historically, unless it's, you know, some, you know, really, you know, Clash of the Titans kind of anticipate, really anticipated rematch, rematches generally don't do that well in the ratings either i mean alabama and clemson met like seven out of eight times or whatever it was and it just every time it kind of went down 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 right i mean this isn't unique to the cfl in that regard either but again i still like to see the great cup at least kind of at that three million on tsn 
sort of minimum bar. And anything below that is like, okay. Because, I mean, the, the, and the last time they were below 3 million on TSN was 2018. So it's not like we're talking about a very long time ago either. Right, right. So this yeah, is not yeah. like a recent sort of uh, kind of trend for the CFL either. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I would, the one idea I, I saw a lot of chatter on mm-hmm. is having this on CTV as well. Right. This, the Super Bowl would never be on ESPN. Ever. Right. And I get yeah. it. Your NFL broadcast deal is a lot different that your major networks do carry NFL games every Sunday. But I like the idea of throwing the Super Bowl on CTV and TSN at the same time. The Grey Cup, because they already do that with the Super Bowl, you mean? Right. Grey Cup. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I, my wires got crossed in my brain. It's a, it's it's been a bit of a one of those days. My brain isn't really working for obvious reasons. Um I like the idea. Throw it on both. Maybe on your CTV to save time, you air it from kickoff right up until about the final whistle, and you do your pregame stuff and your postgame stuff on TSN where the hardcore fans will be watching. So to me, it's just from Yeah. I think I think that's one of the only to me that just seems like such a simple, easy idea that you could do and just put it in front of more casual eyeballs on a Sunday night. I, I don't disagree with you in theory. Um, and this is going to get a little inside baseball here right now. Right. It's going to have, the league would have to really push for it. And considering they didn't in their new ill-advised early sign deal with TSN, that's not going to happen. Right. Because um, what happened, what, what obviously Bell Media wants this event to be a TSN exclusive because it allows them, you know, gives them negotiating power with cable companies. Right, absolutely. Because it is an event that people are going to want to watch, even if it's at 2.8 million. That is still, you know, a very large TV number in this country for anything. So let's make that perfectly clear still at the end of the day. So that is that is something that you can justify saying, okay, this is how much we are going to charge you to carry our network. Without right. it, if that's just on CTV where they don't have that ability, that hurts their ability to make money off of TSN. And that's why you're, I think you're unlikely to ever see it unless the CFL really, really pushes and finds a way to make it happen. And I don't well, know if and they have, and they don't have that. They clearly do not have the desire to fight Bell Media. No, no. They, and I don't think they have the foresight to see past next week, it seems, with the state of the league addresses and everything and mm-hmm. just what a debacle that was and generally what a debacle Ambrosi's kind of been. Yeah. So, um, Great idea, and you're right. Great idea in principle, but in practice, they can't see past their own noses. And I, I think as well, you know, we, we we saw we've seen what TSN is capable of doing with the broadcasts. Oh yeah, the, based the, on the last three weeks, the last two weeks especially in the Great Cup, they do a tremendous job with it every year. And to expect that every week is far too much, no question. Yep. But bring in more, bring in a 30 minute pregame before every game, and bring more to seven cameras to every game, please. They had like a yes. hundred of them at that game on Sunday, plus uh, some more they couldn't use because of the wind. So right, this bumped this up a little bit. Make every game feel like a big game event, and that will help the image of the league. That will help your ratings. That will help everyone at the end of the day. Well, it's like it's like what they're doing in the NFL right now. Yeah. They do that with every NFL game. They even have that cam that makes it look like you're playing Madden that they seem to go to. Uh, from time to time just to give a different perspective that you know video game players and your casual audience is a little bit more I mean who hasn't picked up a controller and, and played a little bit of Madden with their buddies right so mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you on that um, let's hope that everybody can get together moving forward and we see TSN do their part and the CFL do their part I just I, I I've seen too much shit 
that I, I I want to see them do some really simple things to make it better. I just I I don't know if they will. I I Bell is making enough money and laying enough people off that they their bottom line remains strong. They can keep paying dividends, and the CFL management is just well. <laughs> let's just say I'm a fan of Rash Madani for uh, not sugarcoating any of it. No, he he had a pretty good report on it, but you know I will give the league some credit on. Though I would love to see sort of the details of how it's supposed to work, knowing the transparency in this league will never see it. I am no. glad to see that they uh, have agreed on some form of revenue sharing. As much as I've seen some people saying, oh, you know, here comes, you know, the big, you know, the the teams that make money propping up, you know, the big giants, you know, in terms of MLSC and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I mean, that's not entirely unfair, but, you know, what good is money in a bank account to the Riders, the Elks, and the Bombers if they have no one to play? Well, and you so, look at what's going on with Toronto and all the rumors around them right now. And let's not forget, you you can't you can sit on the high horse now, Saskatchewan, but your team was literally saved by a telethon one year. So revenue sharing is going to be good. Mm-hmm. There will be more teams, and we won't have to see as much as I'd like to see in American Expansion 2.0. I don't think we're going to. And if anything, maybe it makes it more intriguing for Halifax to actually finally get into this league. That there's some cost certainties that. Yeah, if the Riders are sitting on a mountain of gold like the Hobbit, um, like in the Hobbit, uh, they can, you know, at least send you some of that gold so it doesn't suck quite as much and you can go out and have your lobster rolls after the game. Quebec City, too. Right. Yes, yes, that's also where they should go. They should go there before Halifax. I would agree. Hey, Jacques Cartier, show's over. 